0: Hunt from Minds Action Canada is my next guest today, and she uh, has a lot to say about something that most of us probably don't think about at all, because we live, for the most part, not all of us, but for the most part, we, we live a life of privilege, and we've been blessed because of our geography. And so uh, we're going to be talking about landmines, cluster mus- munitions, musicians, munitions today. Uh, she's with Mines Action Canada, and she has plenty to say about things like inhumane weapons and about how, you know what, you can write. A letter to your House of Commons representative for free. I mean, that's kind of cool. We talk about the Ottawa Treaty and how Canada uh, led the way forward with respect to policy making that really is quite historical and quite uh, significant uh, back in 1996 and 1997. You'll want to hear more about that. She talks about humanitarian impact and how we are absolutely going to win the war on. Landmines. Um they're an organization you want to hear more about, minesactioncanada.org. Aaron Hunt, she's with us today. DavidPeckLive.com for more Rabble uh, podcasts, rabble.ca. Don't forget to pick up a copy of my book, Real Change is incremental, and we will be in touch. Well, welcome to face to face. We're joined by a special guest today, Aaron Hunt from Minds Action Canada is with us today. She's been with them since 2003. She's a program coordinator there at Minds Action Canada and we're going to get her to tell you a little bit more about her bio and her background and what she does with the uh, monitor victim assistance team as well. Uh thanks for joining us today, Erin.
1: Oh, thanks for having me on and looking forward to chatting today.
0: Yeah, so so this is um so you know, not a real light and cheery topic, really is it?
1: No, um, you know, landmines and cluster munitions and other inhumane weapons. Um, it's definitely not a cheery topic, but it is something where things are getting better and where we can see progress and see success. So in some ways it's a very positive thing to work on, although the topic does seem very dark at
0: times. According to according to the UN, uh, you can tell me you can help me out with the stat, fifteen to twenty thousand people still die every year from from landmine, UXO, UXO being unexploded ordnance-related uh, accidents. Is that a pretty accurate assessment?
1: Uh, not at all. Um, those numbers that the UN seems to be using are quite old.
0: Oh,
2: okay.
1: Yeah, the um, the Landmine and Cluster Munition Monitor, which is the civil society monitoring um, framework mm-hmm. for the Landmine mo- uh, land Treaty, and the Cluster Munitions Treaty is, um, we found that there was, Approximately 3,600 casualties last year.
2: Oh wow! That 2014.
1: Year. We don't have the numbers for 2015 yet. We're working on that. Um, so, of course, we know that this is a little bit lower than actual numbers of casualties because we have to find the um, casualty reports either from governments or from the media. Uh, and Those some people don't get um, reported. Right. But it's definitely not a in the 15,000 category anymore. That's what it was before the Ottawa Treaty Ban mine
0: So things things are significantly better than, than than their numbers are certainly suggesting, as far as actually deaths are concerned anyway.
1: Yeah, so um, we count uh, people who have been killed or injured in that uh, 36, 3700.
0: So, so that's really good to know, helpful as we move into this conversation. So you know a little bit about me. I know a little bit about you. I've spent a fair bit of time in Cambodia. As my listeners know, I'm be, you, know you, you can't go very far without meeting a landmine victim in mm-hmm. Cambodia, one, one of the pr- former most heavily landmined countries in the world, et cetera, et cetera. Working on a project recently where we actually had to clear out some UXO. I know a guy by the name of Soon Ratana. And I met him in 2003 and I will never forget the story he told me about, you know, the bouncing Betty and how that nearly killed him and how he lost his leg and so on. But the thing that really stuck with me, Aaron, and I'd love for you to tell us a bit more about this, is that, you know, he he really, once he found out I was Canadian, he was thrilled. Mm -hmm. And he talked about Canada and our involvement in the landmine treaty and the conversation and so on. What exactly is the Ottawa Treaty all about, and and why is that uh, a reason for us to sort of take a certain amount of pride?
1: Yes, so the Ottawa Treaty is a very unique piece of international law. It is a comprehensive ban on anti-personnel landmines. um, It bans using them, producing them, exporting them, uh, stockpiling them, and requires countries to clear any contaminated areas, hmm. destroy any um, landmines they have stockpiled, and to assist any victims of landmines. Now, what makes this both um, super unique and uh, something that Canadians can be really proud of is that this treaty was negotiated sort of outside the United Nations hmm. the process that the Canadian government started in very open collaboration with States, countries that wanted to be involved, as well as NGOs like the International Campaign to Ban Line Mines, of which Mines Action Canada is a member, mm-hmm. the Red Cross, um, UN agencies who are on the ground and seeing the humanitarian harm caused by these weapons. So all of these different actors were able to discuss the issue and work together to come up with this treaty, um, and they did it in under um, under two years. Wow uh in uh so everyone came back here to Ottawa on december third nineteen ninety seven and the treaty was signed here uh, so
0: and is and is it fair to say Aaron that this came out of kind of a conversation, a dialogue that started i think the little the little research i've done it was uh kind of let's invite all these folks to Ottawa to talk about this to see what we can do about it in nineteen early ninety six wasn't it
1: yeah so um, that's that's remarkable. <laughs> You've got to
0: talk about that. That's remarkable. Yeah.
1: So what the Canadian government did, which is unheard of in diplomatic circles, okay, is we had a regular, like, come and talk about this issue meeting. Yep. And then what got really unheard of is on the last day, the foreign minister at the time, who was Lloyd Axworthy, gets up and says, okay, we realize that this is an issue and we're going to fix it. I challenge you to come back here in a year with a treaty text to sign here in Ottawa.
2: Hmm.
1: usually in diplomatic meetings, you know what's going to happen. Um, you know, it's sort of all agreed to and everything. Nobody knew that Minister Axworthy was going to be doing this. And I was obviously not in the room because I was still in elementary school. <laughs> right. um, but the, what I've heard is that you, he, he made that announcement and every diplomat in the room was like silent <laughs> in shock and then all of a sudden all the civil society members realized what he had just done and like started clapping and cheering and laughing and being super excited. Yeah,
0: and, and somebody from the back shouted, "Yeah, good luck good luck with that, Lloyd." <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So it's unheard of yeah. that something like this would have been done, but with exceptionally strong Canadian leadership and partnership with Civil society with landmine survivors, countries affected by landmines, and the UN
0: agencies. We created
1: something awesome.
0: It's remarkable. So, okay, so he makes the pronouncement. He he offers the challenge, but still people had to follow through. These, Mm -hmm. These diplomats, these countries, these... These groups, yeah. uh, how do you how do you account for that? Was there was there a sense of urgency there that like with that that you don't see with other you know diplomatic kind of uh, meetings and so what what I find fascinating is it starts out of a conversation and within less than two years we've got a we've got a signed treaty that's remarkable.
1: Yeah, so there was a, a group of like minded states that were very committed to this.
0: Mm. There was
1: huge public support. Right. The international campaign to ban landmines was. Um, active in 90 countries around the world. There were ads on TV here in Canada about wow. this. Um, you know, Princess Diana went out and met right. Mind survivors when survivors. Uh, we saw just the huge humanitarian harm that was caused right. by this. Once people started realizing that they could fix this problem, there's that urgency of like, okay, we can do this. Um, and just, I don't know whether that's something that's lacking now or whether it was just sometimes you just have to believe that you can do it and put a lot of energy into it. I know the Canadian government put a lot of diplomatic energy into this. Um, A lot of other governments did as well. The Austrians hosted a um, negotiating meeting um, and a few other, I think there was meetings, and Oslo and all over the world in mine-affected countries as well to talk about this over that year, year in a bit.
0: Well, it just makes you wonder, Aaron, if, oh, wow, should we go back? Should we actually have some people study sort of how this played out from a relational perspective and, and what, what, what were the follow-ups? You know, what were the actual takeaways? Because if this isn't a model for going forward, I, I don't know what is.
1: Yeah, well, they have been doing, that work has been done a little bit. Okay. There can always be done more. Yeah, sure. Um, What's great is that this sort of idea of how to work with governments, um, how governments can work with civil society and all of this, has developed. Um, We now sort of refer to what we do as humanitarian disarmament, where we Mm. put the humanitarian impact of the weapon at the center of our work and talk about the humanitarian impact. And using the same sort of um, process as the Ottawa Treaty... There was, a, in 2008, there was a treaty banning cluster munitions, which are, right. uh, you know, large bombs uh, that open in the air and scatter smaller bombs over an area the size of a football field. Um, so a similar process happened there with uh, the cl- uh, cluster munition coalition, Was the civil society uh, group that was involved in that, and we are one of the co-founders of the uh, cluster munition coalition. And... Same idea outside the UN process, close collaboration with states and civil society. um, Affected states were incredibly involved. Lao is a huge leader on this treaty. Lebanon as well. um, Survivors all working together to negotiate a treaty and to uh, make it reality, because once you have the treaty, you still have to implement it. And we're also seeing, for example, the nuclear weapons um, Movement, nuclear disarmament movement, is using similar tactics now to talk mm. about the humanitarian impact of the weapon and move towards treaty banning the weapons. W- um,
0: what's so remarkable to me about it, you know, having worked now in, in the nonprofit profit sector for quite a few years is, you know, you'll get people in a room and it's, it's pr- I mean, profit and non-profit, I think largely most of us are on the same page when it comes to humanitarian issues, mm-hmm. helping others, poverty, etc., Individually, of course we 're all going to sign you know check check mark that on the on the survey and say, "Of course, we want to eradicate poverty and we want to rid the world of landmines, mm-hmm. but now stick us all in a room mm-hmm. and things change, you know, or at least that 's what I've found. And I don't know if it's about saving face or if it's about ego or if it's about, you know, is it a power dynamic? Is it about fundraising ultimately at the end of the day? But this is what's so remarkable to me about what, what this campaign was able to do. And and, and, and I go back to, to 2003 at the the at the CM Reap War Museum and, and, and soon Ratana, you know, basically singing my praises because I was a Canadian.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what's really interesting is Um, On the civil society side, like the international campaign to ban landmines won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1997 um, for its work to bring about the Ottawa Treaty. It is a global network. It's still strong. Um, There's still members in over 90 countries. Mm -hmm. But what it is not is any sort of dictatorship-type organization. Everyone who belongs to this, we all share a goal of eradicating landmines supporting the treaty implementation and the universalization of the treaty but how we do it is up to every member so what because what works here in Canada is not going to work in Mozambique and what right. works in Mozambique is not going to work in Cambodia and what works in Cambodia is not going to work in Kazakhstan so right. right we all bring our own strengths to the the campaign and we have shared goals and we have you know sometimes we'll have action <coughs> of action, but we all do different things that work for us on those days of action
0: so do you do you believe in a landmine free world
1: oh uh, definitely that's yeah. why I do this is yeah because this is a global problem that is totally hundred percent solvable and it will be solved in my career
2: Wow. As long as we put the good for uh, you
1: professional or like political will behind it which yeah we've had in the past and it's been Waning a little bit, but we I think with this new government they can really recommit to Canada being a leader on this and finishing the job.
0: What's so What's so incredible about about this to me and when I first really started to become aware of it was you know getting into to Cambodia and learning it was you know so, like seven to ten million landmines not that long ago in the country and it's just it's mind-boggling when you when you start to unpack that it's just utterly insane and i mean i'm sure the numbers are all over the place and who actually really knows but you know no one knows where they are really we didn't we didn't leave maps there was there was no thought for the future like i mean could we get a better metaphor for thinking about what we're doing today and about how everything we do affects someone else and how the little things make a big difference you know one landmine can you know have a huge splash and ripple effect
1: yeah yeah like the one of our uh, our executive director here has this story that he often shares when he speaks in public about there was a um, valley, I believe, in Mozambique where they knew there was landmines there, so everyone moved out of the valley. And when the clearance organizations came through and did the clearance, they only found six landmines. Right. So this huge population had displaced themselves out of fear,
2: hmm.
1: um, And there was only six mines there. Um, but that's why it's so important to get the clearance done, because you can then use that land productively and uh, for living and working and playing.
0: It's a real, I mean, it, it really is, a, a, for me, a metaphor of, you know, the splash and ripple effect of mm-hmm. the, the, I mean, the, each one of those was planted, you know, one, one landmine at a time. And I mean during the seventies in, in Cambodia you got the Khmer Rouge, you got the Cambodian army, you got the Vietnamese, you've got the Americans, and no one's I mean, it seems absurd to me in a way that you're in the middle of a war that you would actually think, Oh geez, we better make a map of this so we know where these are in twenty years so kids aren't hurt by these. I just there's just such an absurdity to the whole thing and a really interesting notion. You talked about inhumane weapons. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm, I would almost suggest, aren't they all kind of inhumane in a way? I mean, it's just kind of interesting to me.
2: Yeah,
1: well, there's, we usually say indiscriminate and inhumane
0: mm,
2: together. Good.
1: Um, because, you know, for example, landmines, most of them are not designed to kill someone. They're right. designed to maim you. Um, because if you're in a, a conflict situation and you get injured, Usually, that requires two of your colleagues to take you for medical care.
2: Right. Thus, removing right.
1: three people from the advanced. Um, right. Terrible strategy, but the humanitarian impact on that is just um, in um, inhumane on that, and it's also indiscriminate because I can't tell who right. to, um, who's actually going to step on the mine. Um, so you can see that it does cause. Um, in many ways, it's designed to maim, and that's what I would consider inhumane. Right. Permanently maimed.
0: Do you, do you find that, um, so Canada politically cared. We had the political will. Uh, clearly, mm-hmm. civil so- society was involved. Uh, public was involved. Princess Di and so on. Do, do you still see that kind of energy, um, I guess, globally? Do you see it from a Canadian perspective? I mean, I know not everyone signed this treaty, Right.
1: Right. There's still 35 countries outside the treaty. Wow. But that's uh, not actually that many, considering there's 162 in the treaty. Okay. So. Um, but there is still there is still that that desire to get the job done. I think in some ways it gets overshadowed by bigger emergencies and new emergencies and that sort of thing, and different governments have different. Uh, sort of political priorities, but there is still that need of once people realize that the job isn't quite done, they really want to get it finished, get this one crossed off the global to-do list, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, I still see that there's there's a need to get that done. I'm hoping that over the next few years, the Canadian government will step up their um, their support of this issue. But right. To uh, to make that happen, they really need to hear from Canadians. And if you're an American listener and um, the United States has not yet signed this treaty, they w- abide by almost all the provisions of it, but they just haven't signed it yet.
0: They today. just won't sign it.
1: The American government, your uh, senators and congresspeople need to hear from Americans that this is unacceptable and that landmines should
0: be banned. So what's so interesting to me is that somebody somewhere along the line decided to build one of these in the first place. Mm. I think that's that's kind of what I find sort of fascinating. So here, you know, you see the, the bell curve. So at a, at a time, all of these countries were making them, or at least using them. I guess there's a certain group of countries that are making them and, and sort of specializing in these types of weapons. And then, and then we see this shift occurring. I don't know, maybe you can tell me, but maybe it's post 96, but clearly there was a swell after probably World War II and Vietnam and so on to start, and people started asking questions. Well, hey, hang on a minute here. This is an ugly weapon. This is inhumane. This is indiscriminate. As you said, we've got to do something about this. What, what do you think about that? Like, where does the ethics come in to play when I'm trying to kill somebody, you know? in in, in, a, in a conflict. It just, I find that really interesting.
1: Yeah, I, like, I think one of the things that... Um,
0: is it, I guess, I guess, Aaron. in a way, the question is, is it really about public support? Is it about public outrage? Is it about that one person standing up, like Minister Axworthy, saying, we got to do something about this, guys?
1: I, I think it is. One of our sort of guiding principles and one of our um, number one sayings here is... Uh, the MAC office is that Ordinary ordinary People, Extraordinary Impact.
0: Mm, that's um, great. And that is something... It should be our, your tagline. It is our tagline. Oh, it is your tagline. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: uh, and that's something that I, I see every day and that I firmly believe in, that it is the ordinary people who stand up and say, you know what? This is not acceptable. To me. Mm-hmm. Don't do this in my name. And I think... One thing that often people coming at these issues from a, you know, peace and humanitarian perspective sometimes forget is that the military is often very much on board with us on these issues, um, especially on the landmine issue, because they're here, most people join the military, the Canadian military, to protect people, to help, um, to protect ourselves and to protect others. and so they don't want to be involved in um, bad weapons. Like Good soldiers deserve better than that. So um, I feel like, yes, yeah, sometimes it's ordinary people, ordinary soldiers that don't like a weapon, ordinary uh, farmers who don't want their fields contaminated, ordinary teachers who learn about this. Um, the ordinary people that say you know what maybe we don't need that
0: it's a it's an incredible story about um uh the the community that basically packed up and moved based on six Mm landmines the implications of that right Mm -hmm. the the fear the 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 domino effect of it all i guess i guess that's what you would call the humanitarian impact in a sense yes exactly Yeah, and that's going to be far-reaching. I mean, uh, you know, we were working on a project recently that had to grind to a halt because of uh, UXO that was discovered, and ultimately they didn't find any landmines because of the area up in northeastern Cambodia, but lots of UXO, lots of ammunition. And so if you're walking on the ground, I was at an event recently in Toronto about the environment. Was that night? And clearly they were doing some work in the parking lot. And they had these little tiny flags up, and it was nighttime along the edge of the parking lot. And I was with this uh, this woman, this friend of mine, and we were walking. And I said, you know, if we were in Cambodia right now, Stacy, that these would be indicating landmines. <laughs> and her line is, well, it's a good thing we're not in Cambodia then. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of, I mean, talk about putting it into perspective.
1: hmm Yes, I um it is definitely something that we uh, you can take for granted if you come from a country where you don't have to worry about what's under the ground. And uh, it's something also when I speak to students, though so, know, elementary school students especially, I have to remind them that you know there are no landmines in Canada. But right. That's because we're exceptionally lucky. And the same way that you get to go out and go for a hike or go play in the field on lunch break and stuff, there's other kids in other places around the world that don't have that freedom to
0: walk safely. So how did you get pulled in? I mean, why not, why not water and sanitation? Why not, why not uh, maternal newborn child health? What is it about this issue that, that, that you find so compelling?
1: Um, it's actually a bit of a funny story. I uh, sort of had a gut instinct when somebody came to a class of mine in university that they were looking for volunteers to speak on a few issues for the Canadian Red Cross. And my gut instinct was like, you know what? I should do that. Hmm. So I, I signed up or whatever. The only problem is I wrote down the wrong date. And <laughs> ended up going to the training on landmines when I was intending to go to a training on a different oh, set.
0: Oh, that's hysterical!
1: Um, and I showed up and I was like, well, I'm here now, so I guess might I'm as well might as well, as well stay. Yeah. And <laughs> it was a two-day training, and at, like halfway through the first afternoon, I sort of had this eureka moment where I'm like, oh, my goodness, we can actually fix this. Um, It's not, you know, water and sanitation. It's not maternal health. It's not poverty. This is something that I know exactly what needs to be done to fix this problem. And then once we do it, it's not going to be a problem anymore. We have the treaty. It tells you exactly what needs to be done. We need to get all the countries, the remaining 35 countries, to join We need to take the landmines out of the ground. We need to help um, the victims. We need to destroy all the stockpiles. And it's done. done. Off the to-do list. No more landmines. Everything is move on to the next thing. Right. And the idea of being able to fix the global problem like that and see the progress year after year of this much land has been cleared, this much. Um, this many stockpile landmines have been destroyed um, is just fantastic. I love it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you saw uh, you saw that it was well obviously. So it was a bit of a mix up. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a mix Which up. Which
1: th- it worked out exactly.
0: Well, it's wonderful, right? I mean, you don't really ever quite fully get wh- where you're heading in life until you look back, right? Yeah. And then it starts to make more sense and the dots seem to seem to connect in, in, in a way that you couldn't sort of foresee. Yeah. But clearly the, the, uh, the practical edge to this really appealed to you that yeah. I definitely want to change the world, but here's a way that I can kind of roll my sleeves up and, and really make a difference. Yeah,
1: and I love finishing projects and winning.
2: <laughs>
1: and we're going to win on landmines. Like, there's no doubt about it, whether it takes another 10 years or if it's, people are, you know, unacceptably slow and it takes 20 or a little bit more, it's still going to be a win. Like, we're, we just yeah, have to finish awesome. the job.
0: D- do you think that eventually the win um, mm-hmm. is going to have to be the, hmm, you know, I read an article just this morning about would it be, I think it's on BBC, would it be worthwhile to er- just eradicate the mosquito completely? We've got this new virus that's bubbling up in the Americas. It looks like it could be a bit of a mess. We've got malaria in parts of Thailand and Cambodia that's resistant to malarone. It kills so many people a year, et cetera. Why don't we just wipe them out? and so it, it, I mean, I think I'm okay with that, but on another level, I you know we need to find out what the impacts are, wiping out landmines completely so no one's making them, and we've gotten rid of them all. I mean, is that where we're heading? Is that a win?: Definitely. And, and and you believe that's doable, like we're going to, we will get everybody involved. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Totally. Um, because even the countries that haven't joined the mine ban treaty yet, the Ottawa treaty, almost all of them still abide by the,
2: uh, so weird.
1: the uh, provisions of it. They don't use landmines. There's one or two states. Governments that still use landmines. Most of the use that happens right now is non-state armed groups. Mm. That's going to take a little bit of work to deal with, but it, it's doable. Um, so even if you know we don't get every single state signature on the Mine Ban Treaty, we can eradicate the landmine problem pretty quickly, if, as long as we put in the uh, the political effort and the the public will there.
0: Sure. And is that kind of what you're doing at Minds Action Canada? Is that is it is it is it mostly so is it mostly about advocacy? Is it about lobbying the government? Is it about getting in front of rotaries and churches and Cub Scout groups and saying, Guys, we we gotta write letters. We gotta get get it's kind of a uh you know, like an amnesty writ a uh, letter writing group kind of thing. Is that is that where you're at?
1: Um, not so much a letter writing group. We do, do we do work closely with um the government calling on them to put more into it, helping um, you know, provide information and mm-hmm. what's necessary. We do a lot of monitoring of how things are going mm-hmm. um, through the landmine and cliff munition monitor. Um, we do international advocacy um, as well, calling like calling on other countries to join the treaties to, um, you know, stop using landmines or you know, support victims more. Um, We also provide, um, are part of the leadership of the international campaign to ban landmines. And um, we do support fundraising um, for ourselves and supporting other countries to um, put more money into the mine clearance and assistance to victims
0: to uh, finish the job. So we've dealt with landmines. But from what I've read, and I think it might even have been your pen, um, we still have some things to do with respect to cluster bombs. Yeah. So so cluster bombs, plane flies over, drops a bunch of bombs, they kind of explode, what, about 100 feet above ground and then spread a bunch more bombs that are tiny and small and just a complete disaster, frankly.
1: Yeah, so um, they can be shot from our artillery as well as okay. the air. Okay. Um, and we... We say they're smaller bombs, but in reality, some of these submunitions, which is what they get called, mm-hmm. um, they're designed, some of them are designed to take out tanks. So they're, they may be, you know, some of them are the size of like a baseball, but there's a lot to them. Right. Um, and one of the major problems is, is once once the, the canister opens in the air, you don't have any real control over where the submunitions mm-hmm. are going to land. mm mm-hmm. Um, they usually can land anywhere within like a football field, and you can pick whether you want that to be soccer or, you know, CFL football field or an NFL football R-
2: field. Right.
1: That size. Um, and then not all of the ones that, when they hit the ground, explode. Okay. And so they become essentially de facto landmines because there are mm. these live explosives on the ground that just didn't blow up when they were supposed to. So anybody touching them, picking them up, walking past them, hitting them with a tractor or a hoe or your car or anything right. like that um, could trigger a very large explosion. The, uh,
0: the, the title of the blog that I, I see that you posted back in May 6, 2015, um, says it's, uh, quote, we've banned cluster bombs, now let's stop funding them. Yes. So we're not going to use them, but we're putting money towards them. Is
1: um, well, some of the companies that make cluster munitions, um, that in countries that haven't banned them yet, uh, there's you know public companies, and they take uh, money, investments from banks or loans from banks. And there are um, a few Canadian financial institutions that still invest in cluster munition manufacturers. Um, which I don't know about you, but to me that is unacceptable. Right. It's a banned weapon. It's a weapon Canada's banned. It's inhumane. My money should not be involved in that production.
0: So so a mutual fund investing in certain companies that are yeah. actually making. Okay.
1: Yeah, or a, a bank providing a oh, loan or right. that sort of thing. Um, so our colleagues in the Netherlands um, at an organization called PAX um, release this report every couple of years. Okay. The next one should be out in the next six months mm-hmm. on um, global investment in cluster munitions. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's the stop explosive investment campaign um, because, as the Cluster Munition Coalition at Mines Action Canada, we strongly believe that if you ban a weapon, you should not be permitting investment in production right.
2: of that weapon. Right. Right.
1: Um, so. There's this global report that you can find online quite easily, and it lists um, financial institutions that have Hall of Fame-worthy policies about mm. investment in question munitions.
0: It's a great line. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's um, ones that are on the runner's-up list. Um, <laughs> like They're good, but they're still a little bit of a yeah,
0: problem. Right. Hey, can you tell us any names or at least what they rhyme with, Erin? Is that um, uh, <laughs> kidding? Whatever. We don't
1: have any Canadian. The last report did not have any Canadian institutions on the Hall of Fame list. Okay. Uh, I do know that um, NEI and Desjardins have released a new policy in between the last report and now, and they were gearing up to try and get themselves on the Hall of Fame list, mm. so we'll have to see. Yep, okay. Um, the, RBC is on the runners-up list, I believe.
0: Okay, <laughs> um, okay, yeah.
1: And then there's the Hall of Shame
0: And there's a Hall of Shame. Uh, Sadly, I thought that was coming. Yeah, Yeah,
1: and there are a couple Canadian institutions on the Hall of Shame list, and I'm
0: unfortunately
1: blanking on their names right now.
0: That's okay. I'm sure we could find them pretty easily. And we're going to rely on the PAC report to tell us more about that pretty soon. Yeah,
1: so it's PAX. Oh,
0: PAX. Thank you. um, Thank you.
1: Yeah, so um, uh, Stop Explosive Investment is probably the easiest way to find it if you put that into a, a
0: Google search it should come up pretty easily stop explosive investments yeah all right you know what I'm going to put a, uh, a link in in the bio that we include on the on the site with the with with the podcast um so you say here quote now is the time to contact your financial institution and ask them to outline their policy regarding cluster munitions close quote yeah are people doing that
1: uh some of them are good I, um, I recently had an email from a former intern who was like it's a hall of shame list, I have to change my bank, and I need to make sure that my new bank is not on this list. Nice. Um, so, And most Canadian financial institutions should be updating their policies um, because when Canada ratified the Convention on Cluster Munitions, we brought out this um, implementation legislation, and in it, it bans um, assistance with production or use of cluster munitions. And while the word investment isn't in the legislation, the government said a number of times that investment is a form of assistance and Mm. it's banned under this legislation. Mm. So financial institutions in Canada need to be aligning their policies with that to ensure that they're not contravening um, the federal ban on assistance.
0: It's so good, you know, you guys. uh, It's so good that we all sort of have our own... commitment and passions about certain things is it not mm-hmm. i mean we're all we're all in this together there's a uh, mm-hmm. i mean i care about certainly landmines and uxo in a way that i never would have had i not been introduced to to soon and to cambodia and so on and the work that i do there mm-hmm. um but but the, the nuances right the the loopholes mm-hmm. the things that can get in the way of actually getting the job done are fascinating
1: they are but in some ways they're just a little challenge
0: yeah right yeah
1: um and like I like I said, those our tagline is ordinary people, yeah, it's good, extraordinary impact. It's because you know I've often found that the ordinary people are the ones that look at those little loopholes, see them, whereas people that are maybe more used to how things go diplomatically, the the status quo,
2: yeah. might not
1: see the loophole or might not see a solution. But it's the ordinary people that are just like, you know what, that's not okay.
0: Yeah, that's okay. right. That's right. Uh, well, I, I, Aaron, you must get a lot, or at least have had in the past, maybe not so much anymore. I love the fact that you're so passionate and positive about this and that it's mm-hmm. going to be ended in your lifetime. I think that's awesome, and I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you must come across folks, and I do uh, from time to time, that say, well, you know what, these things, they, what What can I do, right? And, mm-hmm. and you know, that's your that's your tagline. So, you know, write a letter, knock on the door at your local bank and say, can you guys fill me in, et cetera, et cetera. And and we're back to Splash and Ripple, right? We're back to domino effect.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, One of the things that is, I think, overlooked as an effective tool um, for people is literally just sit down and you can mail stuff to the House of Commons for free. (laughs) Fun. (laughs) You can write your MP a letter, um, address it to the House of Commons in Ottawa. I can't remember the postal code. Um, but it's online, um, and you just put it in the mailbox, no stamp, nothing, just drop it in the mailbox.
0: That's yeah. kind of cool. Do you know what? I don't think I knew that.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, so if you. It's kind of
0: like you know, writing to Santa Claus, isn't it?
1: It is, except for the postal code is definitely not Ho-Ho.
0: Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Probably not, yes. Yeah,
1: and so that's a, a very easy way to that's just cool. make sure that the issue is on the radar of decision makers here in Ottawa. Um, you know, if you're talking to your bank or if next time your bank calls you, because I know my bank calls me way more than it probably needs to. Right. Um, you can just ask them, being like, oh, I read this report or I saw this. What is the bank's policy on uh, cluster munition, investment in cluster munitions? You can also, there's a r- similar report on investment in nuclear weapons, so you could, you could hit them up with
0: both. Um,
1: that one's at don'tbankonthebomb.com um don't
0: don't bank on the bomb.com yeah cool
1: um so it's you know not it doesn't take a lot of effort to get this issue in front of the people who can make change
0: so we got to wrap it up here in a couple minutes and i'm so sorry about that but That's but uh, maybe we can do a part 2 i always ask my guests if we can do a part 2 sometime down the road but what's the story you tell you've got a certain amount of time Forget about the elevator speech. I don't really like those anyway. But yeah. what do you, what do you tell? Is it is it the story you tell about how it, you were supposed to go to one training session and you wound up at another, and that's what changed your life, or what 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 is it around this issue to try to get that you know that 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 emotional sort of hook with the students that you're speaking to, or the members of parliament, or whoever? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it is definitely very much the the idea that this can be fixed. Mm. So many people are at like, want to change the world, and I know that, especially young people. We've seen so much that's going on in the world right now that is not okay, It's not what we want to see, is not the world we want to live in. And you don't have to wait till you're old to make an issue or or to, you know, make a difference on this issue. You can can raise money now. You can uh, tell other people. um, You can write to your decision-makers. You can volunteer. Um, there's so many different ways that you can make the difference right now. And all of these little contributions is going to add up to mm. success very soon.
0: Um, Aaron, thanks so much for joining us today. I think one of the things I'm going to be doing very soon is sending a letter to the House of Commons for free. That's, yeah. uh, that's on my list. Of, I've already put it on my to-do list. Aaron Hunt, uh, Program Coordinator at Minds Action Canada. Uh, and the senior researcher on victim assistance for the Landmine and Cluster Munition Monitor. Check them out online: minesactioncanada.org. Aaron, thanks a lot for your time today and your okay. commitment to the cause and your passion. It's it's wonderful. It's really amazing. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I look forward to chatting again.